The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. Are you serious? This pastor is saying that God is queer? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, the, the stuff that's out there is crazier by the day. The stuff that's out there is weirder by the day. And yet the audiences believing the false things, those audiences are growing by the day. So we're here to set the record straight. We're here to be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. We're here to dispel the darkness with the light of the truth and separate fact from fiction. Michael Brown, welcome to the line of fire. Here's a number to call. If you want to weigh in on any of the video clips that we play today or if you have a Bible-related question for me or theology-related question or cultural question that you'd like to ask, we'll open the phone lines, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. So on topic or off topic, we'll try to get to some calls a little bit later in the broadcast. But first, it is March 14th for those who are watching live, which means it is our anniversary, Nancy and I. 46 years. Yeah, it's unreal. I, I posted, it went up early this morning and, and, and later in the morning on different sites, but I posted when we met at the age of 19 in the same little Italian Pentecostal church, God had saved me there two and a half years earlier and now providentially brought Nancy in, both of us Jews, Nancy, a Jewish atheist at that time. But we were 19, the people, the pastor, brother and others are like in their 40s mid 40s they were oh they were old we've now been married longer than they had even lived at that point our oldest granddaughter is 21 and we were 19 when we met so what an amazing journey it's it's been and nancy's behind the scenes she does not like to be in the public speaking ministering like that it's just it's not her calling it's not what she prefers to do she has an incredible amount to offer. And, and when she does weigh in, her two words or her one sentence carry more weight than your average hour sermon. And if you read our book, Breaking the Stronghold of Food, where we talk about God working in our lives and helping us uh, make radical changes with regard to food, then her sections are shorter than mine, but they're always the best. They're like, boom, boom, boom. But what most don't know is that there's a price to pay being married to someone like me. Oh, she'd tell you I'm loving and gracious. She would tell you that I'm affirming. She would, she would tell you that I don't ask a lot of her. She would, she would tell you that in that sense, I'm as easygoing as, as could be. And, and I, you know, I'm not high maintenance. I'm not maintenance at all. But there's a price to pay. When I get hated and rejected, that can fall on her. When people turn against me, she has to deal with those realities when I'm traveling day and night or working on another project day and night, or I have to run and do this and run and do that. Those are realities. And, and she behind the scenes has paid a price for many, many years. And then mistakes I've made and things I could have done differently and things like that. Yeah. It falls on her too. So I am beyond grateful for the bride that God gave me for the role she plays in my life. She is the strongest human being that I know. She is the most immovable, unshakable human being that I know. As deep as my convictions are, hers go even deeper. 
and she always tells me what's wrong, always tells me where I need to change, always tells me where I could do things better. I am eternally indebted to her, and I mean that from the heart and love her so, so dearly. So I wanted to say that and honor my bride today. All right, again, number to call 866-34-TRUTH. I was sent this link by a teen member. Now, it referred to a, quote, woke pastor. I don't know for sure the person is a pastor. I'm just getting that from the title. But this is the type of stuff that's out there. Now, now, please understand, I've documented things like this for many years. I've, I've heard these kinds of claims from gay activists on different levels for many, many years now. But the more that they get out, the more you get these sound bites out. They trickle down. And the younger generation just trickles down to them. A lot of kids who haven't thought these things through trickles down to them. And then even uh, someone has the theological grounding. Oh, sounds right. So we're going to deal with some really crazy way out stuff today, starting with this short video. Let's go. Let me unpack that for you. God is non-binary because God is the author of gender. God is genderless and genderful. They are neither male nor female, and they are both. They refer to themselves both as male and female throughout the text. And yet theology would tell us that God does not have gender. So by definition, God is non-binary. God is queer because like gender, God is the author of all sexualities. All sexualities exist in God, and yet God is not explicitly sexual. And since asexuality is part of the LGBTQ spectrum, we can say God is queer. And finally, God is autistic because autism is a divergence from typical neurology. And since no being in existence has a mind like the mind of God, God is by definition neurodivergent. And as an autistic person, I like to say God is autistic. God always identifies with and as the most marginalized people in society. May God have mercy on this gentleman and really bring him into the knowledge of the one true God, bring him to repentance and salvation and heal whatever hurts he has on the inside of him. So his claim, God is non-binary, God is queer, and God is autistic. Number one, We all agree that God transcends gender, that God does not have biology that human beings do, and that God is either male or female in his essence. He transcends gender, of course, and he creates us in his image as male and female, so all the fullness of male and female are found in him. We agree with that. However, it is utter nonsense to say he is non-binary, Because non-binary means something very different. Non-binary means that you don't fit into gender norms. It's totally different than transcending gender. Non-binary means that you're a biological male, but you identify as female or as asexual or as multiple genders. That's what it means. Here's one definition where it it is equated with genderqueer. Non-binary or genderqueer is an umbrella term for gender identities that are neither male nor female, identities that are outside the gender binary. That's, God is not outside the gender binary, meaning, well, his categories don't fit because he's, he's male, then he is sometimes female, and, and then he's they. No, he's not they. He's never referred to as they in the Bible. <clears throat> so uh, you say, yeah, but what about the times when God says he's like a mother? Yeah, who he is 
he's revealed as male in terms of a man of war, in terms of being the father or the, or the son incarnates himself in this world as Jesus. He is never identified as a female in the Bible, to be clear, but he acts like a mother caring for her children. He, he acts like a, a, a mother birthing children, things like that. Those analogies are found in terms, of his, in terms of his actions as opposed to his being. Yet we recognize that this is still earthly language and that God himself in his essence is not male or not female because he transcends it. But it's different than non-binary, which is basically a synonym for genderqueer. That, that's painting with brushes that violate the borders and change the borders and deny the borders as opposed to saying, one is transcendent of gender. No human beings transcend gender. A human being is either male or female, or there may be some intersex biological defect that, that obscures this a little bit, but ultimately, two genders slash sexes, male, female, every human being fits into one of those unless there's a biological abnormality. None of us transcend gender. <clears throat> the idea that God is queer, because all sexualities exist in him. What kind of nonsense is that? all sexualities. Pedophilia is a sexuality. Pedophilia is an attraction to children, a sexual attraction to children. That many researchers says it, it's innate and immutable. Someone's born like that and they can't change. So we have to have sympathy for them while making sure that they, they don't break the laws and don't abuse children and things like that. But let's have sympathy for them because they didn't ask for this. No, all sexualities do not exist in God. And many human sexualities are perversions. They're exactly contrary to what God intended. They're, they're the opposite of his intent and plan for human beings and human flourishing. And, and homosexuality does not exist in God. <clears throat> so completely bogus on every level. As, as for God being, quote, autistic, autism is a defect somewhere. In, in other words, there is something wrong that creates a disability, a handicap, a problem, an issue. It, it is not being so wise that, that, that autism means you are beyond wisdom, you are beyond intelligence, you are beyond understanding. You, you exist on another level like God does, right? Romans eleven twenty three. 23, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You can possibly understand the mind of the Lord. No, no, autism is a problem. Now, many autistic people function well in society, but there are challenges that they have. God has no challenges in this regard. Now, does he identify with the marginalized? He loves the marginalized. He cares for the marginalized, but he does not approve of everything in every marginalized culture or group. There are people who are marginalized because of sin and rebellion in their life, and they've been cast off to the side. There are others who are marginalized because society hates them and rejects them for no fault of theirs. God does care for those on the fringes, but he doesn't affirm everything they do and who they are and identify as them. He says, hey, come here and find wholeness. Come here and find grace. Come here and find new life. Now, look, let's be honest. Critiquing a video like this, it, it's low-hanging fruit. In, in other words, your average believer without a lot of theological depth hears that and knows it's completely bogus and can give a pretty good answer as to why it's bogus, all right? But to soundbite it and to bottom line it, no, God is not non-binary. God transcends gender, which is something very different. No, God is not queer because God is the standard of what is right rather than what is queer and different 
in a wrong sense and contrary to his design for male and female and contrary to his plan for marriage. And though God is not autistic, although that's a separate category entirely because we're not talking about a moral behavior as much as an emotional or intellectual challenge that this person may have, God cares deeply about those who struggle and about those who are autistic. He cares about those who identify as queer. He cares about those who identify as gay. But as far as our behaviors, as far as our morality, he says, come to me and receive mercy for transformation, not for affirmation and willful sin. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire. Any question you have that you want to raise or if you want to pursue a controversy where you differ with me, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Hey, friends, The Silencing of the Lambs, my brand new book, is available as an ebook, you don't have to have a Kindle reader. You can read it on your computer, your, your laptop, your tablet, your smartphone. Just get the, the Kindle app on Amazon. So check it out, the ebook, The Silencing of the Lambs. And just to make a confession to you, I've shared this before, but when you write a major book for a major publisher or just your general publication process with a normal publisher, from the time they get the manuscript to the time the book comes out is, is 9 to 12 months. So there's the process of editing, going back and forth with things. In my case, I cite lots and lots of stuff there. Fact checkers have to look at every single reference, make sure everything I'm saying is totally accurate. Uh, back and forth process, proofreading, designing cover, etc. Getting bookstores ready. It's coming out at this time, getting it in catalog. So it, you have slots. We've gotten books out in just a few weeks when there was an urgent need to do it. But by the time the book comes out, I've already written one or two other books, certainly working on another book or two. I'm focused on the daily radio show. Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866. As mayor, that he started issuing same-sex, quote, marriage certificates back when he was mayor. And that made him, of course, a champion of many liberals and gay community in America as part of who he is, part of his beliefs. When he became governor, he got just under 62% of the vote, which was the highest ever for a Democratic candidate. So we'll see what happens with the recall. It'd be interesting if the recall stays steadily around there. That would indicate that as messed up as things have been in California, as, as much as there's been a lot of resistance to the degree of lockdown and crackdown over COVID, as much as there have been economic woes and allegations of the wildfires and things, all of this not being handled properly, and then many businesses leaving California, it would be interesting if, in fact, uh, things stay steady and the vote to keep him in is close to what it was to get him in. It would be very interesting to see if there's a major shift 
or if, in fact, the polls will be surprised and there will be a recall. It's also fascinating Play to some see. clips from a debate that I did, short debate with Megan Rohr, who identifies as transgender, and she was a Lutheran pastor at the time of the debate, since then has become a Lutheran bishop, and did her doctoral work arguing for transgender identities in the Bible. So very serious about this, which makes my heart go out to her even more in terms of some of the most absurd and possible interpretations of the Bible I ever heard in my life. I've, and I've been around, I've heard a lot. Some of these took the cake. All right, let's listen to first clip. Thankfully, we have a great roadmap left for us by Jesus. In fact, Jesus says that there's lots of different types of trans people, and those who are able to be trans for the sake of the kingdom of God should accept that. So what I will offer up today is what if we have limited our imagination to just assuming trans people are wrong, like we've done in each generation with different types of people? And what if God's imagination for our purpose in the world might be beyond what some people have imagined so far. So this idea that Jesus recognized all kinds of trans identities are being trans for the kingdom is a complete myth. It's manufactured out of thin air. And when you hear the scriptures that were used or the arguments that were used, you realize I'm, I'm not exaggerating to say it was manufactured out of thin air. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 19 that from the beginning, the way the Father established things was male and female. He created them. And then one man, one woman joined together for life. As to those who were eunuchs, either born without sexual capacity or men who were castrated, they were caught by the enemy or for whatever purposes they were castrated, or those who said, okay, no marriage and no sex because I'm committed to the kingdom. Jesus said, yeah, there, there are some who are like that either by birth or people did it to them or they made that commitment to the kingdom. And what, what's he saying to them? That's it. No sex, no marriage, because marriage and sex exist one way only in God's economy. Okay, let's listen to some more. Thankfully, we have a great roadmap left for us. Uh, I think so we, we know that. from There we go. So we know from ancient rabbis that there were six different types of, of sex and gender. So we know... Adam, who is made by God, Adam means mud. It was a person who was put to sleep by God, who then had their surgery. And only after that surgery is there a definition of what is male and what is female. Later, Abraham is also called on to have his genitals modified through circumcision. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Abraham, having his genitals modified, did not go from male to female. Circumcision is modifying the genitals of a male in a certain way, not to change that that person is male or to change the function of maleness in any way. <clears throat> and then to say Abraham also did, well, Adam did not have his genitals altered by God. doesn't say that at all. Rather, God took from his side or a rib and out of that formed the woman. There's no connection to trans identities whatsoever or to transgender surgery whatsoever. Uh, uh, once again, these ideas are beyond out of thin air. Oh, yeah, ancient rabbis, for various legal purposes, recognized that there are certain people that didn't fall in the normal categories biologically. They did not affirm transgender identities. They did not affirm a biological male 
living and identifying as a, as a female. Never. Or the reverse. Ever. And this is also because of the fall. Not because of God's intent for creation, but because of the fall, there are various defects and problems in our midst. Just like there's blindness, just like there's cancer. So we have compassion on those with biological abnormalities, but we don't change reality based on that. All right, last clip. You put out there that no one could possibly imagine trans identities as I am imagining them. However, it was a big enough issue for the first 300 years of Christianity that was actually taken up as an issue by the Council of Nicaea. If you look at most major Christian art, you can find that angels are painted to be androgynous. As, they are, as I, I spoke to you about from those Hebrew words, you'll find faithful people who are messengers able to communicate from one group to another are often drawn to be exactly like people who transgress worlds. Because what is a better messenger uh, to explain things between men and women than someone who has had a toe dipped in both worlds? Augustine felt that way, right? Rebecca shepherded sheep and was doing things outside of the gender norm. And the most important story of all, Jesus said the Last Supper will take place where there is a man carrying water. Gender diversity was central to Jesus's story. Oh, God help this dear individual. I mean that sincerely. You said it's condescending. Let me say it again. God help this dear individual. A man carrying, I've been in India and I've seen men carrying water on their heads and it's not because they're trans. I've, I've seen, it in the, seen it in Israel. It's not because the person's trans, it's because men also carry water on their heads and women also take care of sheep. Wow, that is not trans identities. And by the way, if you, if you look at a lot of the angel image in the Vatican and stuff like that, those are, look like fat little boys, a lot of them. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, what in the, why are they being painted like that? I mean, naked. What in the world? It, it, in any case... Jesus said that the angels in heaven do not marry, so they're not having sex. So if, if angels are neither male nor female, fine. Jesus is saying that's different than us as human beings here in this world. As for the Council of Nicaea, could someone find that for me? Let's just see here. Um, she says, Megan Rohr, the first Council of Nicaea's first action was to try to limit the leadership roles of trans pastors and bishops, I'm grateful the Lutherans of, of, of my denomination are beginning to dismantle this and some of the other hurdles BIPOC and LGBTQ pastors encounter. Wow. Is, isn't that interesting? <laughs> go, go ahead and study the Council of Nicaea and, and check that out. The first Council of Nicaea's first action was to try to limit the leadership roles of trans pastors and bishops as if you had leaders in the church Men who identified as biological women and said, don't, don't call me Sam, call me Sally. Or women, biological women, who identified as men and said, don't call me Sally, don't call me Sam. And this was widespread in the early church, and the Council of Nicaea had to deal with this as one of their major issues. All I can say is there's no more truth in that than there's truth in these scriptural claims See, Jesus is reaching out to trans because there's a man carrying water. Men carried water on their heads. And women worked as shepherds in the ancient world and in some parts of the world today. It's nothing to do with trans identities. Even if you have gender stereotypes, 
that boys like like guns and girls like dolls, okay? And another boy likes dolls and a girl like, likes guns doesn't mean that she's a male or that he's a female. It's grievous because this deception is sweeping through society to the point that little children are making terrible life decisions with the help of parents, counselors, and the medical profession. That's what's so grievous and concerning. And some in the church are being deceived as well. May God bring us back to reality. We come back, going straight to your calls, and I've got another clip, some of the most bogus claims I've ever heard about the New Testament. Wow. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, we could spend all our time refuting the latest crazy video that's out, false teaching about the Bible, bizarre tweet. In fact, we could spend a million hours a day if we had it because there's so much bizarre stuff that's out there. I, I don't think a million hours a day is an exaggeration. I really don't. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. And by the second, this posted and that posted to break it down, to expose the error, let's just say there's not enough time in, in 100 years to, to cover all the stuff. So it's just when something comes to my attention, really bothers me in terms of, oh, this is so grievous. Someone writes and says, hey, this is just going viral. Dr. Brown, is it accurate? And that I feel to address some of the things on the air, especially to start the week with some of these different ones, bringing them together. So I'm, I'm going to play another one that I was told is, is getting a lot of views on TikTok. I'm going to play that in a moment. Just a reminder to visit vitaminmission.com. I, I, I'm so committed to seeing you healthy physically and spiritually, just as God has, has helped trans, transform my life and lifestyle. Whatever I do to encourage you to be healthy in body and in spirit, boy, I, I want to do that. Body, mind, spirit, the whole being healthy. So visit vitaminmission.com. Use the special code there. It'll get you a discount on all orders of these great health supplements by Dr. Stengler. And when you do remember, not only do you get a discount, he in turn gives a donation to our ministry to help us get on more radio stations and reach more people with this important message. Okay, before I get to this next clip uh, let's go to the phones. And if you've got a question for me or want to challenge me on something, again, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Cola in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, hey. Appreciate everything you do. And uh, just thank, uh, you. thank God for you, brother. Thank you. Um, my question is regarding Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 430, when it speaks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And my question is, well, I have a lot of friends who would say, nope, once you're saved, you're always saved. And I always point to scriptures where there's all the possibility of apostatize or fall away. And uh, how, do you, how would you respond to the, those two verses there? Yeah, I, I think those are some of the weaker verses that are used by our friends who hold to once saved, always saved, or a different variation, perseverance of the saints. Uh, I, I, 
I do not see those verses as strong because it all depends on the meaning of seal. And, and seal could have two different meanings as used in Greek. One would mean seal like you, you seal a bottle and nothing can escape from it. So they would say we are sealed by the Spirit in salvation. So he has sealed our salvation. It, it, is, it is done. It is finished. Nothing can unseal that once you're saved. You cannot fall away once you've crossed from death to life. You could never go back to death. God does not unmake sons. So once you're a son or a daughter, you are forever. I don't see that saying that at all. Nor would the idea of the, the giving of the Spirit have some form of, of sealing us in our eternal destiny, especially in the context. The Spirit's been given to us as a deposit or a down payment. So there's the other thing, other meaning of seal which when you, you seal something or put a seal on it, you're marking it, you're identifying it. So you've got, you know, here are this box and it's got a seal on it, you know, healthy eating this, or it's got a kosher seal on it or, or something else. Uh, so seal as in seal of approval, seal as in an identifying marker. And that makes much more sense. Uh, so in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit's given to us as a deposit. In Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Spirit who who has sealed us or given to us as a seal. So, yeah, it's very, very easy to read it in, in the other way. And I'm, I'm just curious, I'm just going to look at one thing. I'm curious to see how some other translations put this. So just going to go to Bible Gateway so I can get a whole slew of them and anybody can follow along with this. I'm just going to put in Ephesians 1, 13. It's going to come up in the NIV. Then I'm going to hit in all English translations. So let's see. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, uh, the amplified. So again, this is amplifying. This is not a literal translation. Uh, it says uh, you were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So again, stamped with a seal is absolutely a way to read and understand the Greek. And let's see. Yeah, another amplified version there. Most just translate uh, seal. Let me just see how the NET renders it here. Uh, ISV, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the message paraphrases it, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. You found yourself home free. So that would be the once saved, always saved, meaning as opposed to the way it is in the, the NASB. Uh, NET, which is striving for real accuracy in the Hebrew and the Greek, and it may not read as smoothly as the NIV, but it's striving for, for clear accuracy there. It says this, uh, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So in short, that's how I understand these verses. It says you were sealed. Yeah, you, we were marked with the seal of the Spirit. And that, again, comports well with the idea of the Holy Spirit was given to us as a deposit and down payment. That marks us. That's, the, that's God's seal on us saying, you're my child. I've marked you by giving you the Holy Spirit. I put that seal on you as opposed to I've sealed you up and it's, it's a vacuum-packed salvation and, and nothing can, can interrupt it. So those that want to argue for it have to come up with other verses than that for sure. Okay, I appreciate that. You know, I kind of had that same idea that it might be a seal, like a king seal, like that was his stamp, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I was just wanted uh, your, definitely your opinion. So thank you so much, Dr. Brown. Appreciate you, it. You bet. Absolutely. 
three, four, truth. Remember, we don't divide over this. What we do is do our best to sharpen one another, learn from one another, consider what we believe, and walk in it. I just want to say something pastoral to everybody for a moment, okay? Because doctrine is important. Doctrine gives us foundations, gives us understanding, gives us a grid by which we sift things. At the same time, doctrine can, uh, can be misunderstood or misapplied, and therefore we need to be pastoral in our application of doctrine. We have way too little doctrinal teaching in many of our churches today. We have way too little systematic grounding of people in foundations of the faith. Way too little, and we're paying the price for it, for sure. At the same time, it must be pastorally applied. So <clears throat> let me say this as plainly as I can, because I know many of you struggle with a very sensitive conscience, and you feel, okay, I, I blew it, I don't think I'm saved today, or God must hate me, and you know, I was saved yesterday, got a good day, I'm not saved today. That's a horrible way to live. My heart goes out to you, and is absolutely not the Father's heart, nor is that a scriptural way to think. Some of you say, well, if my name can be blotted out of the book of life, well then, does God write my name in the book of life with pencil? And like, he erases it every few minutes? And the angel's like, eh, no, out, out, ooh, let's wait a day to see. Out again, let's wait before, is that how we live? No, certainly not. So let me address this pastorally, okay? If you want to serve the Lord, to the core of your being, God, I want to serve you. I want to be your child. You've been born again. Your sins have been forgiven, and you want to serve him. He is, he is standing with you and has promised to keep you, and he has told you that nobody can pluck you out of his hands. Be secure in his love. Rest in his love. He who began the good work will bring it to completion. Jesus says that the Father is the greatest of all, and no one can pluck us out of his hands. So if you want to serve the Lord, rest in his love. He's standing with you. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus has paid the price for every sin you could ever possibly commit, past, present, future. All of it, all of it, all of it. So rest in his love, rest in his grace, and with his help, live for him. If you say, I don't want God. I used to believe this stuff. I don't anymore. It's old-fashioned. It's just bondage. It's religion. I'm out of here. Fear. Fear. Because you have fiery judgment to look forward to. You do have wrath to look forward to. You can walk away from God. He will not force you to stay in his house. If you want to stay in his house, he won't kick you out. He will help you. If you want out, he will not force you to stay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he forces his children to stay in his house. And outside of his house, there are serious consequences and serious judgment. You say, but I'm like, I'm like in the middle. I, I want to serve God, but I keep messing up. Okay, then go to him for his help and grace. Get solid counsel from leaders in your congregation to help work out these areas of ups and downs and struggle because Ultimately, God wants you to live a consistent, godly life. We'll never be perfect in this world. We will never perfectly overcome sin in this world. But we can live godly lives. And even on a bad day, oh, God, I'm str- I can't believe it. I keep losing my temper. I, I got free from cigarettes. I just smoked three packs today. Or, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't given away to porn in a month. And I spent two hours. With, oh, God, hell, what's the matter with me? 
God will help you right there. The blood of Jesus will wash you right there. The, the, the Messiah's love will meet you right there. And God wants to help you come to sincere repentance so that those patterns are broken in your life. And, and that the Son setting you free, you are free indeed. And sometimes there's strongholds in the lives that, that need ministry, that need help. And, and God's there to help us with those things. And that's what discipleship is for. And that's what being part of a body is for. And that's what sometimes getting set free, deliverance, these things play roles in our lives. So if you want to serve the Lord, be at peace. Be at rest. He is for you, not against you. He will keep you. At your weakest moment, he is still there for you. If you choose to walk away from him, you can. And the consequences will be grievous. Let me say this plainly. For those who are struggling, you're under heavy temptation. I'm not talking about those who want to believe, but you don't know how to recover your faith. You want to believe, you want to follow the Lord, but you you just can't believe right now. May may God help you to come back to a place of faith and and, and be sure in your heart and in your mind. But if if you say, I got to be with this this gal, I'm leaving the marriage, it doesn't matter. I know we got married in the Lord, but I, I just want this. It will never be worth it. Listen to me. It will never, ever be worth it. When you cast off your confidence in God, when you choose sin and reject the lordship of Jesus, it is never, ever worth it. Be forewarned. We're coming back. You're going to hear some wacky things about the origins of the New Testament. Stay tuned. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Was the New Testament originally written in Aramaic? You're going to hear a clip from a woman who is obviously not a scholar, who is obviously not representing the arguments as well as some others could represent the arguments. So in fairness, there are better arguments that could be brought. I still categorically reject them, but there are better arguments that can be brought. I'm simply responding this to this because her grad sent it to me. So Dr. Brown is getting a lot of views on TikTok now. This is the new thing that's out there. It's poorly edited. It's poorly argued, but I'm going to play it and then respond. Did you know that the New Testament was out? All right. Uh, looks <laughs> when I said when I said that it's uh, poorly argued, I, I didn't quite mean like that. Um, all right, t- tell you what, we I'll, I'll take some calls and uh, and go back to it. Was it wasn't that badly done? But uh, we'll we'll come back to it in a moment. All right, let's go over to Judah somewhere in America. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Doctor Brown, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Nice. So Yeshua refers to a Lord of the Harvest in the New mm-hmm. Testament, and I'm just curious if you could give some insight into who this Lord of the Harvest is. Yeah, it's, it's God. It's his Father. That's the one that we pray to. We pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. So he's talking about praying to God that the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest that he would thrust forth laborers into his harvest field. 
So God is the God of the world and the God who will ultimately judge all human beings, sees the whole world as a harvest field, and there's good and bad within it, and he wants us to reach as many as we can with, with the good news of the gospel. My bad. All right, cool. Thank you. Yep, you're, you're welcome. That was a simple one. Sometimes you read something and, and the obvious doesn't, uh, doesn't dawn on us there. Yes, so that's the Lord of the harvest. God, we pray to you. What's interesting, what's interesting there is that the Greek for send forth is ekbalo. Now, ekbalo can simply mean to send, but it's also the word that's used, say, for driving out demons. The, the, the Septuagint used it in the Old Testament for driving out the Canaanites. It's one of the words that was used to, to translate Hebrew for drive out. And the New Testament's used for driving out demons. So it's, it's forceful. Now, you know, Mark can tell us that the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness with force, and it's, it's ekbalo there as, as well. Uh, but in, in this case, yeah, that the, the, the Lord would thrust forth laborers. Send forth may be a little, little weak. Thrust forth would be even better here. Uh, so, guys, we're going to be able to play that clip. If not, I will, I will move on to some other things. Uh, all right, so you can just let me know here in a minute if we'll be able to play that. If, if not, we'll get to it hopefully later in the week. Just want to remind you, for the next few Tuesdays, unless something major is happening or a key interview we're having, I'm going to devote those to theology, Theology Tuesday. And last week we asked the question, according to the Bible, does God still speak today? Or does he only speak within the pages of Scripture? We talked about that. I believe, I believe tomorrow I'm going to focus on the question, will there be a future millennial kingdom? Will, will Jesus rule on the earth for a thousand years after he returns with Israel in the center of this? We can even address, will there be a real temple, even sacrifices offered? Will that be the case? So is the pre-millennial position right? We'll, we'll probably get in on that. But if you have a different view, if you hold to amillennialism or post-millennialism, or if you're, if you're a dispensationalist and that's your view, then love to hear from others with different points of view. So we're probably going in that direction tomorrow. Uh, also, check out my latest article, AskDrBrown.org and elsewhere where you read my articles about who is Vladimir Putin and what makes him tick. To this day, I don't know if we know why he invaded Ukraine. I don't know if we know what was going on in his own mind. I don't know if we know what, what motivated him. There are many, many different theories, and we've discussed some of them on the air. But I don't know if we fully understand yet and, and what's actually going on in this process. To me, if we're going to try to stop him and if we're going to try to bring peace in the region— we really do need to understand what makes him tick and why. So uh, in, in any case, it turns out we're not going to be able to play that clip. So hopefully we'll get it going for you, and then I'll address it later on in the week. But the, the human suffering, it's, it's a frustrating thing. Nancy and I were talking about it often since the crisis. On the one hand, you just want to step in and do something. You invade another country, a sovereign nation. God knows how many thousands of people have, have died, including many, many, many civilians and, and women and children trying to take refuge and flee, killed. So you've got this terrible bloodshed. 
the one hand, you know that with fighter planes, with more weapons, with our troops or NATO troops, that that Russia would have to withdraw in a hurry, that they'd only be able to sustain the losses so far. But then what if that triggers a nuclear war? You said, well, you can't worry about that threat. You, you can't worry about it. Uh, otherwise, you'll never do anything. You'll always be paralyzed. What if he uses chemical weapons, bioweapons? Do you get involved then? What if he puts one foot into an, a NATO country? Do you get involved then? So you, you, you got to do what's right because it's right. I, I understand the strength of that argument. And as you watch the news footage and see the suffering, let's not forget the Russian soldiers dying as well and the effect on the nation of Russia as a whole, how that's affecting the people there. Obviously, it's their head that's doing this, but many of them don't want it to be happening. So you want to step in and do something. On the other hand, do you want to be irresponsible? What if us stepping in to help ends up with tens of millions of Ukrainians killed because of nuclear war? What if it ends up with tens of millions of Russians killed or Poles or, or, or others or people in France or England or Germany? Or if it reaches us or the Middle East explodes. So it's, it's one of those things where we really need to pray for wisdom for our leaders to do the right thing. Wisdom and courage and for God to intervene. Because I don't, I don't know how this is supposed to play out. You know how many times we get involved, CIA, others, we get involved with international affairs and we got a bad guy in power, so try to get him removed and somebody else raised up. But the, the one that gets raised up ends up being more radical and dangerous. You know, many would say that Osama bin Laden and, and those of his ilk, Al-Qaeda or, or Taliban, that, that certain ways that we encourage the beginnings of that to get Russia out of Afghanistan, the Mujahideen, the freedom fighters. And then what did that result in? Something worse. You know, so it's, it's the short-term vision as opposed to looking at the next generation, how this thing is going to unfold. Sometimes it's clearer than others. So I don't, if you said to me, okay, Dr. Brown, you're in charge now. What would you do? I don't know. I'd get on my face and, 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 and pray. I'd ask someone to shut me in a room here till I hear God and let's get the wisest people we know around us to give us some real godly counsel. Cause this is one of those difficult situations. Do I believe if Trump was in office, that it's less likely that Putin would have invaded? Yeah, I, I do believe that. I do believe that. As someone who voted for him twice and as someone who does not want him to run a third time, I do believe that. Do I believe that world leaders see America as weak right now under President Biden? Yes, I do. But he's the man in the White House right now, so I'm praying for wisdom for him because Trump can't do it. Trump did make a very interesting statement at a recent rally that he said that, that, you know, people criticized his personality, but he said it's that very personality that stopped world leaders from doing certain things because they didn't know what he was going to do. Remember with the leader of North Korea, you know, threatening to push his nuclear button. Well, Trump's I had a bigger button than you have, buddy. I got a bigger button than you, rocket man. Mocked him and, well, they don't know what he's going to do. That's, that's been a strategy over decades with, with leaders to say, you can't predict what I'm going to do. You have no idea what I'm going to do. You think I'm crazy? I'm crazier than you think. <clears throat> so that's been used with Trump. You didn't know. 
You genuinely didn't know. But he's not in the White House right now. Joe Biden is. That means he's my president. That means he's making major decisions that could affect the whole world. And, and some of them to me seem dead wrong. Very, very wrong. So what am I praying? God, give him wisdom and courage. And other world leaders, wisdom and courage to do the right thing. And overall, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Russia, Ukraine, Europe, and the world. It is an urgent time. We need divine intervention. God, speak and act and show us what we can do and how we should be living. All right. <clears throat> Reminder, do you get my emails? No? You still? Mike, I've been listening to you for 13 years. I don't get you. Oh, come on. I just tuned in today. All right, great. Go to AskDrBrown.org. It takes you 30 seconds, literally. ASKDRBrown.org. Click on the email link. Put your name, your email. If you want us to have your address to, put that in there. It will be our joy to be in touch with you. You get a really neat mini book, a free ebook, a real eye-opener that you'll find really useful and practical. And then we'll share more about my own background, from LSD to PhD, more of my testimony and story there. And then, not only that, We'll tell you more about our ministry, how we can serve you, the resources we have. Then every week we'll send you, hey, here are our latest free videos. Here are our latest free articles. Here are new resources we have for you. So let us be a blessing to you. Let us help strengthen you in your walk with the Lord. Go to askdrbrown.org and sign up for our emails. Back with you tomorrow. Another program powered by the Truth Network.